If it's your first time at Hill City, um, you're our special guest, even online, if it's your first time tuning in with us. And what we typically do for our first-timers, we'll have you stand up, give us your address, your zip code, uh, any kind of personal information that we can use. Um, we sell that to the Chinese. I'm just kidding. I'm messing with you. Thank you for being with us today. If it is your first time, when you go to exit the service today, um, out in our lobby area, you'll see some uh, little tables with some little iPads. We call those our guest service stations. And uh, we've got the sweetest people. Our little guest service team is there. They've got a little gift for you. And uh, just for being with us, even if you never come back, you never intend to come back, you're like, whoa, this is not what I thought it was. We better go back to Catholic Church. Whatever it was your experience. Um, but we still want you to get the gift, amen, and let you know that someone thinks about you and is praying for you. And then, uh, and then that every now and then you can think about us. But, uh, but yeah, please go by there and get it. Again, can we clap for anybody that might be first time? Bless you. Thanks for being with us. I'm Pastor Adam McCain and my beautiful wife, Jamie McCain. And I just want to give a little bit of honor where honor is due. Um, two years ago, in the midst of the pandemic, uh, this city, uh, my wife was councilwoman for many years. And, um, and so sh she helped start a lot of the cool events that are happening in the city. And was very, our church was very, very involved in making sure that um, there was community life in a city um, like Cedar Hill. And, uh, and we did the same thing in Mansfield as we planted that campus. But um, one of the things that happened with the pandemic was the big activities had to be shut down. And so one of them that had been going, what, 50 years, 85 years, was something called Country Day. And, uh, and so all of y'all got a little bit of country in you. I don't care what your skin tone is or where you grew up. Everybody got a little bit of, little bit of country. Everybody, want, everybody wants to shoot something every now and again. So... And so uh, get a little bit of mud on you. And so Country Day had been established 85 years ago and basically had kind of all but uh, fizzled out. And uh, a team of folks from the city and Miss Jamie helped bring it back to, uh, this past weekend. And so I just want to thank you for that. Thank you for your... <clears throat> Thank you for all the nights that you were away, and I didn't have dinner. I was eating sandwiches because you were planning all that stuff. I'm so grateful. You ready to get in the Word today? Say yes. Come on, you can do better now. You ready to get in the Word today? Say yes. We are in a series titled Signs. Everybody say Signs. We're taking this out of the book of John. Ultimately, in the next few weeks, we'll we will have all but gone through the entire book of John. And, um, and so we started with the last, second to last chapter in John by just setting the premise. In John chapter 20 and verse 30. Look there with me. I'll put it on the screen for you. Um, John says this as he's closing up his gospel. He says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs. Everybody say miraculous signs. And we point to the fact that he didn't just say miracles. He used the term signs in the middle of it. In other words, what's a sign? Sign is something that points to something else. So Jesus did miracles, not for the sake of doing miracles. He says, I'm recording these miraculous signs because they have something to tell us. They are pointing to some life lessons about who Jesus was and the nature. He says, in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. He did a whole bunch of stuff. He goes, but I've recorded these. These are written down, and scholars identify these seven signs that John honed in on uh, in his gospel. Uh, the, the, written down that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. How many believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Do you believe that? Say yes. Me too. And, and, and by believing, you may have life in his name. And I pointed out to you that the original concept of this word life, when we translate it into English, we use the word life, you know, you know, pro-life, you know, pro-life, this. And what we're typically talking about is just the biological operations of being alive. That's not what this word is, that you may have life. It's talking about that you may have the divine nature of God flowing through you. 
Jesus had a different life. He had a different nature. Wouldn't you agree? Say yes. Because when I read the word of God, I'm telling you right now, the moment they started hitting me with that whip, I'd have been like, oh, no, no, sir. No, sir. I'd have fried everybody. He's God. He had a different nature. And, he, and, and John records, he says, I'm going to give you these seven miraculous signs that Jesus did. And I'm telling you, they're going to rock your face off, if I can paraphrase it. It's going to blow your mind because by believing in him through these things that I point out to you that he did, that he was, you'll start taking on his very nature. And that's the goal with this. And so last week we looked at the very first sign that he records in John chapter 2. And many of you know John chapter 3 because it's got the most famous verse in the whole Bible in it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him. In John chapter 3, um, Jesus goes into Jerusalem. He's there for the Passover. He does some ministry there. And then as we jump into John chapter 4, he's coming back from Jerusalem, which is down in this area on a map like this. As he's coming back through, most Jews would go around Samaria because Samaria was half-breeds. They were blended. You want to talk about prejudiceness. And so these were the Jews who married people who were not Jews. Jesus threw himself, by the way, the Messiah came to earth. You think we struggle with prejudiceness in this hour? <laughs> you have no idea. He threw himself into the most prejudiced moment in history in reference to the Romans, the Greeks, the Jews, and all of this happening in the Middle East. He threw himself right in the middle of that. Why? Because the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords unifies that which cannot be unified under one banner, and that is the Creator who made us also wants to redeem us and wants to unify us. And so Jesus goes, instead of going around Samaria like every Jew would do, he goes through it and he ends up at this well. Some of you remember this moment in history in, through the scripture. He ends up at this well with this woman and, um, and he basically prophesies to her. She has this revelation that he must be the Messiah. She goes and tells everyone in this, little, in this village that she's met the man. And they all come out and as they in, engage with Jesus, they put their faith in him. And then Jesus continues on. And we'll pick up there in this passage in John chapter 4. And verse 43 says after the two days he left for Galilee So he's now going out of Samaria into the region of Galilee Which is where Jesus did most of his ministry And as I pointed out to you last week Galilee would be good country folk Just good folk not necessarily maybe suburbia but but just good folk Just folks that you know work hard come home love on their families Just simple folk they're not big name folks They don't have a lot of you know you know uh, you know great representation in Congress and things like that Just good old folks and Jesus comes back to this Galilee region, but we notice that he doesn't go to Nazareth, which is where he's grown up. He actually avoids that city, and he heads back towards Cana, where he did the miracle last week of turning water into wine. It says, and now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. And I think probably because they're having the discussion, why don't we go to Nazareth? And Jesus is like, yeah, listen. You know that a prophet is not honored in his home country. In other words, where you grew up, once you become somebody, people that saw you grow up don't respect you. They don't have this, this confidence or this honor for you. And Jesus points that out by using that a prophet is not honored in his own country. Verse 45, when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that had been done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast. For they had also been there. Verse 46, once more he visited Cana in Galilee where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. And when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Verse 48, unless you people 
see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. And the royal officer, or official, excuse me, said, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus replied, you may go. Your son will live. And the man took Jesus at his word and departed. Verse 51. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that the boy was living. Verse 52. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his all his household believed. Verse 54. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judea and Galilee. I want to break this down for you for just a little bit. So again, he goes around, he, excuse, he doesn't go around Samaria, he goes through it. As he's in Samaria, he has this miraculous moment with this gal. She gets radically convinced that he's the Messiah, tells everybody this whole village put their faith in him. Then he continues on, he skips his hometown of Nazareth, and he points out that there's this situation that, that people have, and that they don't honor a prophet in his own town. There was this, there's this thing that happens when we don't show honor. And that is, in fact, we find in other passages that Jesus could not do very many miracles in his hometown because they had such a disrespect for him. And if I could break down this concept for just a moment about honor, let me, let me help you understand the power of honor. First of all, honor means to value as extremely precious, to give respect. Remember when you first got that new car? You parked it at the back of the parking lot of Walmart right? It was new. You treated it with new. Remember when you get, first got those new shoes that you paid so much money for? Anybody, anybody bump, bump into them? You're like, man, that's my shoes. Get off my, what's wrong with you? Lost your mind? You over there trying to wipe them off? Why? Because you valued them. But then after a few years, what happens to those old shoes? What happens to that car after it's been dinged a few times? Next thing you know, we go to get in your car. There's McDonald wrappers everywhere. There's dirt from 3,000 and, uh, you know, 3,000 months ago. I mean, it is nasty. I mean, it stinks to high heaven. Why? Because you've lost respect or honor for it. And so Jesus is pointing out that what happens in time with people is they lose honor for those whom God sends and for the things of God. And to dishonor means this. Look at the, it means to treat as common to not give respect. Do you know why many of our Christian walks and many of our engagements with the Lord have become dry and stale and we feel like, where are you, God? It's because we've lost respect and we've lost honor for the sweetness of his presence and the sweetness of his word. And this is what scares me for folks who've grown up in church. And I know what I'm talking about. For many, many years of my life, I ministered to young people who were second and third generation Christians. And can I tell you, they were not very good second and third generation Christians. The majority of them were holding on to the coattail of what mom and dad said God had done, but they had never had that experience in their life because they always kept Jesus at a distance. And they had been told that they were the little precious one and that God had a plan for their life and they were glorious since they were this high. And so they never come to the realization you are wicked and need a savior. And because they never came to a revelation that I am wicked and need a savior, then they think that they're their own savior, and they think that they're good in and of themselves. And if I can't, I can't get found if I don't ever realize I'm lost. I think Jonathan Edwards used to teach, he used to teach, you got to get people lost before you can get them saved. And so much of our generation now doesn't th thinks that they don't need a living God. Why? Because they don't realize how wicked and undone they really are. 
And so as a result, they have no respect, no honor for the word of God, for what Jesus did on the cross, for his saving grace that he extends to us. And this is what Jesus is pointing out. Where there is no honor, there can be no power. And so one of the reasons why, if you've ever, um, you know, uh, been in a, in a gathering where miracles started happening, and I guarantee you, if you think about the culture in that moment, people were desperate and saying, oh, God, we need you. We don't care if it's sloppy and ugly, and, and we don't care if people judge us and think we're weird. We just need you. It's in that honor, that respect, that he goes, watch this, and he moves. Because he does what? I've talked to you this a billion times. He resists the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you, but I need Jesus like I've never needed Jesus. I don't know about you, but I'm so grateful for all that he's done in my life. I will not forget all the wondrous works that he's done in my life. I should not be alive. I should not be healthy. I should not be standing here in this pulpit today. But my God chose me out of the wickedness of my, of my sin and pulled me out and gave me a new name and a new hope. Are you with me today? Say yes. And so Jesus gets into the, this discourse, uh, discourse about how a prophet's not honored in his own land. And as he comes into Galilee, they actually honor him. And so he goes to that place, the Galileans there in that area, Cana, where he had done that miracle with the water, turning the wine. And again, no one really knew about it, but they recognized that there was something special on this man's life, the Messiah. They haven't even given themselves to believe that he's the Messiah yet. And he begins to do miracles in their midst. But as that is transpiring, a royal official, a, a, a nobleman, as the Bible calls him. Now, this nobleman term means little king. Everybody say little king. Come on, you can do better than I say little king. And this could mean several things. Scholars go back and forth. It could mean one of two things. It could be that he had become so wealthy that he had um, a large portion of land and basically kind of had lots of people working for him. And so he, he ruled over them like a little king, a nobleman. Uh, more than likely, though, what this actually means, the nobleman, is he was a part of the Herodians. So Herod, the king of the Jewish nation. So you understand the Jews are under the Romans. The Romans have full control. And the way the Romans would uh, operate in those days is they would conquer a group of people, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't destroy them. They would let them continue to operate in some of the things, the culture that they had. And they would let them have some officials that they would come, the officials would come and submit to the Roman leadership. And so as long as their people didn't do anything stupid, the Romans let them kind of operate. And that's why you see in the life of Jesus that he literally had to go before the Jewish leaders and they're the ones that wanted him killed, and they're the ones, but they couldn't kill him without the Romans agreeing to it because the Romans had brought order and law and their systems of, of operations. And so the Herodians were the, if you will, the, the governing group over the Jewish people, and they were Jews. And so obviously, many scholars kind of point to this guy was probably one of the royal family and that he had great wealth and great power as a result. Thus, the reason they call him a nobleman. And what we read in this passage is that he comes to Jesus. He finds out that Jesus is in Cana of Galilee, and he travels there. And let me just break that down for you. Where he leaves from and where he goes to is Lisa Day's journey. So he, he, he and, and I want you to think about this. They don't have modern technology. He can't text. He can't check on his website where he's going to be at at his next gathering. He doesn't know where these people are going to be. They don't, have a, they don't have a home office to call and say, hey, listen, is Jesus going to be, uh, where's he going to be next, uh, next couple of days? I need to get to him. But obviously this man begins to track him down. And the word comes to him. He's probably sent out messengers. Go find that guy, Jesus. I heard that there's supernatural things happening. And I don't know who he is or what he is, but I need to talk to him. And someone comes 
back and says, we just heard that he's back in Galilee in that region uh, somewhere around Cana. And so he takes off. Let's go. And he takes off and he takes him up. 24 hours to get there. And the Bible says that once he gets to Jesus, so once, he says, he says, once the royal, he says, when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee of Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son. Everybody say begged. You ever heard rich people beg? <laughs> I haven't. What kind of desperation's happening in this man? What tells us the verse earlier that his son is on his deathbed. And later it tells us that a fever had. So, again, in modern times, you know, we probably don't go to God like this because, oh, well, we're going to trust the doctors, we're going to trust the technology. But in their day, they had no technology. They had no doctors of this level. And so what they had to do was like, God, either kill us or heal us or set us free or something. So he's in desperation. And if I had to guess, he had spent all his money to get whatever technology he had at that point to help fix his child. And I would imagine mama sitting over that bed with tears coming down her eyes as her son's about to die. And you, if you've ever been on, uh, beside someone on their deathbed, um, there's a difference and them being sick and them just hours to live. And I've been there multiple times in people's lives. Their eyes typically roll in the back of their head or they begin to stare off in the distance. Their breathing becomes super shallow. There's no movement and there's no engagement because they're just not there. They're out there somewhere in the, you know, in the metaverse or something. And so you're standing on and you realize this is, this is it. It's coming to an end. And I would imagine mama was sitting there and she looked up at her husband and said, listen, I don't care what it costs you. I don't care what you've got to do. You get my baby fixed. You hear me? And all the money in the world and all the prestige and all the followers on Facebook and TikTok and, and Instagram will not fix this moment. There is but one. And that man had enough sense to go find the one. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. Because in his arrogance, in his position of power, in his authority, he recognized, I can't fix this. And that's the place we all have to come to is I can't fix the brokenness in my life. There is only one who can heal me, set me free. And friend, you can bounce around all you want to with all kinds of different religious ideologies and all the degrees that you can get and all the money you can make. But I tell you, all that money is not going to heal your wife of cancer. All that money, listen to me, all that money is not going to set your kid free from a crazy ideology of their transgenderism. Only Jesus can set people free. Are you with me? Say yes. And so this man had enough sense, I'm going to find me some Jesus. I don't even know if he's the Messiah. Now, it does, anywhere does it say he's put his faith in Jesus as the Messiah. He just has heard that this guy is doing some super, super cool things, and no one else has been able. So he takes off for a day. I mean, they are going. They're get, and they get to him, and he falls, and he starts begging, Jesus, sir, please come with me now. Come with me now, please, sir. Please, I need you. Come with my, my child. Even if, even if you don't like the Herodians, even if you recognize that our family is nothing but a bunch of manipulative uh, individuals who are doing, doing the Jewish people wrong, even, even if you feel that way, please, sir, don't let a child die. Please come with me. Now, it's interesting to me that this man would beg instead of trying to exert his authority over the situation. I can have you arrested I can have you killed in the night. You come with me now. I'm not asking, I'm telling. But he doesn't do that. Because he understands that God gives every man and woman free will. Every, every man and woman free will. 
It's like that, that time that mama was uh, fussing at the little boy. You sit down right now. He kept standing up in his high chair. You sit down. She spanked his leg. You sit down right now. And then while he's crying, he looks at her and he says, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. You cannot force your will on somebody else. Have you figured that out yet? And this man has a revelation. I better not try to force my will on the will of the one. I just need to beg and plead and see if he won't have mercy on me and my family. And Jesus looks at him with all the kindness of the Savior, with all the goodness that Jesus could muster up, with the sweetness by which Jesus loves us. And he says, unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, you will never believe. I think that's hilarious. Jesus isn't sweet and kind. That's rude. Rude. Come on. It's like he just went through McDonald's drive-thru. I mean, that is rude. He didn't get any kind of love from this Jesus guy. Jesus just straight up tells him, all you guys ever want is a sign to believe. Don't you understand? I don't have to go with you. I can just say it and it'll be done. But this man is stuck in one concept. And you got to understand, in the ancient world, they had a concept. That if, you were gonna, if there were going to be a supernatural moment, you had to get the prophet or the key leader in that space to pray directly over that situation. And Jesus is telling him, just like he's telling us, I am not limited to how you think I can move. I'm not limited how you think you think you got to get to church to repent to me. You just need to pull over on the side of the road and repent. I'm not limited to your ideologies. I'm not limited to the fact that you think that a president cannot serve me just because he's this way or that way. And when I tell you to pray for those in authority over you, I'm telling you what I can do if you'll just simply obey me. See, friend, we have put people in this box over here and put this person in this box over here and say, well, Jesus can't touch this one because this one's so wicked. Jesus is not limited by the box that we put him in in and he will not be limited by that and he looks at this guy and says you unbelieving sucker <laughs> unless I do a sign you won't believe and I love his re-response look what he says to him <clears throat> and he says dear sir come down before my child dies one thing I love about folks who can broker a deal is they realize you don't give up just because you get no on the, first, on the first answer. Dear sir, dear sir, ooh, I hear you. Yes, sir, I'm telling you, you're right. I am wicked, and I have not a lot, but please come. Please don't let my son die. And Jesus responds to that. Look what he says. And he says to him, you may go. Who's in authority now? That's a statement that kings tell servants. That is verbiage that noblemen use with their employees. You may go. Shut the door behind you, please. Could you have them bring in my coffee, please? I will have you now leave and bring in my next appointment. Thank you. Jesus says, you may go. Your son will live. And then here's the big piece. The man took Jesus at his word. And departed. This is where the miracle happens. The miracle doesn't happen when Jesus speaks it. The miracle happens when the man takes him at his word. This is why you don't have miracles in your life. <clears throat> this is why I don't have miracles in my life, because I don't take him at his word. He took him at his word, and then so there is a ideology shift 
There's a belief system that shifts. He takes him at his word. Okay, then, then you don't have to be there just by your spoke. And then he acts upon it and he departs. So there's a taking him at his word and then acting upon that. And we see that all throughout Hebrews chapter 11, it, by faith, Noah built an ark. Noah didn't just have faith. He built an ark because he had faith. He acted upon the faith. Noah built an ark. You know how long he built an ark? For 100 years. Think that through for a moment. Can you imagine the guy down the street's been building a boat for 100 years? Think about that in his backyard. Do you know how much you would hate that man? Well, he's got to be done. Oh, we should have moved into the city where there were ordinances against this. Living out in the country sucks. That guy, all he does. Can you imagine every time Noah went to Home Depot? Yeah, I need 8 billion nails and uh, some screws. How many? How many you got? <laughs> some boards. How many boards do you need? All of them. Every day for 100 years. At some point in that process, I bet his faith wanes just a little bit and goes, what are we doing? What are we doing? Can you imagine his boys? They started with him when they were five. And now they're, now they're 90. Like, Dad, do we have to keep doing this? The Lord said he's going to flood the earth. The kind of faith that keeps you moving forward even when you don't see what was spoken to you. This is real Christianity. This is the life lessons in these messages. Jesus didn't just heal a man's son. He's trying to teach us what his nature is like so that we can take on his nature. And look and continue on. It says, and the man took Jesus at his word and departed. And while he was on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. How many times as he passed mile marker four on his way, 24 hours, mile marker 27, did the thought come in his mind? The kid's dead. There's no way he lived this long. Oh, but the, but the master said he would live. And I'm holding to that. And to see these servants meet him at mile marker 75. Sir, sir, sir. He's alive. Can you imagine how fast he rode that chariot all the way home to hold that boy? When he looks mama in the face and she says, I don't know what you did, but thank you. And he says, let me tell you what happened, guys. Come here. Everybody get in the living room. You're not going to believe this. Everybody, cousins, everybody's been there because this kid's gone. They're preparing to bury him. And he says, I met a man. <laughs> you know, the scriptures talk about a Messiah to come. He's got to be him. Because who can speak miracles into existence and not physically be anywhere close to it? Who can say the word and it comes to pass? Only the creator who said trees and the trees grew. Oceans and the oceans were formed. For in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Nothing was established outside of the word. That's John's opening, by the way, John 1. <clears throat> and it says, and the whole family believed. What did they believe? They believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And so from there, I want to give you what I would say are the four life lessons that you and I can learn from this whole piece. Let's start number one. Here's the first life lesson. Jesus cannot do for you until he is done in you. <clears throat> he couldn't do something for this man until he first got something out of this man. You keep waiting on God to do something. He keeps saying, I'm trying to fix something in you. 
because I'm trying to do in you more than I'm trying to do for you. So you becoming more like Christ is the goal, not you having every little thing that your little heart desires. That's not the goal. The goal is I just want to be like Jesus. The Apostle Paul said it in Philippians 4. He says, I just want to know Christ. I just want to know Christ. Somehow obtained to his likeness, the fellowship of his sufferings, the power of his resurrection. I want to know Christ. I just want to be like Jesus. That's the goal every day when I wake up. I just want to be like Jesus. I don't want to be like Adam. <clears throat> Adam's so full of mess. Adam's so broken. But Jesus and his nature abiding in Adam makes Adam somebody worthy of this life called Christianity. Jesus and him alone. But if he can't do in you, then he can't do for you. And so he looks at this man and he says, always needing a sign. Unbelieving. Now that man is in a moment right then and there. Will I exert my power over him? Will I receive the rebuke? Or will I say, you know what? Up yours, dude. I've traveled 24 hours, and this is how you're going to treat me. Do you know why we've got so many young adults deconstructing their faith? Because they've never had true faith. You start deconstructing my faith, guess what you're going to find? When I fell down on my knees and I realized, oh, my God, oh, my God, you are God and I am not. I was at a moment like that where he smacked me real hard to try to do something in me to wake me up to the wickedness inside of me. And I saw my wickedness in that moment. In that moment, he realized, I'm not the king. I ain't nobody. I'm nobody. And he comes back and he says, God, please come. Sir, please come and heal my son. It was in that moment that God had done something in him that now he could do something for him. You know, I, I think about this all the time, how you and I, we love Jesus, and we, we love the Jesus of, of kindness, and we love the Jesus of the miraculous, and we love the Jesus of forgiveness, but we don't love the Jesus of the rebuke. And the only way to fix us is to rebuke us and to correct us. And to say, you are wrong. I love you, but you're wrong. And this is what the word of God does every time I read it. This is what he does. And so if you're not being rebuked by Jesus, he says very clearly, then you're not mine. That's what Romans teaches us. Because he only rebukes those he loves. He only disciplines those that belong to him. He doesn't discipline someone else's children. He only disciplines his own children because he loves them. If you're not being disciplined, if you're not being rebuked by God, then the question would be, do I belong to him? Am I even with him? Because he cares more about what's going on inside of you and what you're becoming than what he's doing for you. And this is the revelation that the nobleman had in this moment. Jesus called him out. You just want something for, from me, bro. You just want me to do for you. But you need to understand, I'm God. And what I need you to understand is your wickedness inside of you will keep me from being able to work in you and for you. Until you come to the revelation, I am not the king. Jesus, you're the king. And once this man has that revelation, now Jesus can do something great inside of him. This brings me to the, are you still with me? Say yes. All right, this brings me to the second life lesson, and that is humility is the genuine proof of real authority. Humility is the genuine proof of real authority. This man understood authority. It's like the Roman centurion said, I'm a man under authority and I'm a man with authority. Jesus, just speak the word and it can happen. This man had to come to back into that place of humility to recognize, you know what? There is one greater than me standing beside me right now in front of me. And he humbles himself. 
And that is a true proof of real authority. So, so I, I don't know about you guys, but I've worked with people. I worked with someone years ago who was an older, older man in ministry. And this man constantly was telling all of us his title and his position. Well, I'm the so-and-so, and I'm the so-and-so. And it became a joke amongst all the staff. Because if you have to tell us who you are, then you must not be that. If you have to exert your authority to have authority, then you don't have authority. Are you tracking with me? I tell you right now who I am. And you have to do that. when you do that to your children, do you know what you're doing? That right there is embarrassing. I don't have to beat on my kids and yell at my kids and embarrass them in front of their friends and things like that. I have true authority that's been given to me by God. And I can humbly walk in that authority. Not try to harm, to hurt, or to dominate. And some of you have that on you, and you need to ask the Lord, Lord, forgive me from being domineering everywhere I go and having to need everyone in the room to recognize that I'm in charge. Lord, set me free from that. See, true humility, true humility does not need <clears throat> to push you forward. True humility is what Jesus did, and he backed up, and he said, I will hold everyone up instead of everyone holding me up. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and lay down his life as a ransom for many. He said, I just, I just can't take it when someone tries to take advantage of me. Why not? That's pride. Let them take advantage. That's what Jesus said. Let them take advantage of you. You know why? Because whatever man sows, that shall he also reap. And the Lord's keeping track of those things. And the Lord fights our battles. We need to stop singing songs about it if we don't believe it. <laughs> He fights about, you know what, bro, go on ahead, go on ahead. <clears throat> Years ago, <clears throat> when I traveled um, full-time as a minister, I was in Atlanta, I was in Atlanta preaching, and that morning I was flying out to get back to Dallas, and I was, you know, like a horse that turns back towards the barn. I'm rushing to get home. And, uh, and so they dropped me off right out in front. I've already got the digital ticket and all that. And so I'm, I've got my stuff, and, and, and we're running just a little late. You know, the guy came a little late to get me. It's early morning flight. And so, you know, I'm coming in. If you've ever been to the Atlanta airport, it is mayhem. It is craziness on crack cocaine. I mean, it's just like... Whatever you don't like about DFW, you just haven't traveled a lot. Let me just tell you. The fact that there's an interstate and you can go anyway. So it all comes to one spot at ATL. And so, and so I get out of the car and I'm grabbing my stuff and I'm, and I'm rushing to get in. And I, as, as soon as I walk through the doors, the security is backed up 15 miles. I mean, they're all the way to the door almost. And so you can see it, and you're like, this is going to take forever. I hope I don't miss my flight. So as I start walking towards it, I'm trying to hurry up and get in line. All of a sudden, I sense this lady who's walking beside me fast. And so she starts walking fast, so I start walking fast. And then she starts running, and she runs and jumps ahead of me. And I'm like, all right, whatever, whatever, lady, whatever, lady. And she gets there, and then she waves on her six friends. They didn't get there right after her. We're, there's now four of us behind this lady. And, she start, and she's looking at me like, what, white boy? <laughs> and I'm looking at her like, she la bakate te la ma. Ooh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Let's go. <laughs> and in the middle of that, the Spirit of the Lord speaks to me early in the morning. Like, you know I'm not awake yet, Lord. You're not even awake. Let's don't. Have sermon time with Jesus, correct past Adam some more. And, uh, and he says, I thought we were the servants of all. And they all standing there. They all got their stuff. I'm, not, they, I'm like, ooh, Jesus. And, so, and, they, and they are looking at me like, what are you going to look? They, are, they know what they've done. They know they skipped everybody. And they, they are daring me to say something. 
and talking all around me and that kind of stuff. When in the midst of all them talking, one of them says, I just can't believe that they canceled our flight last night and we had to stay here and that we all trying to get somewhere. I just can't believe this is happening. Well, what they had done was they had slept in and they should have been there an hour earlier. And, 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 and so one of them goes, what time's your flight? What time's our flight? And she says, uh, it says it departs at 7.30. It's 7. They are not making this flight. I mean, we're, it's a 45-minute through security. They're not getting through it. <clears throat> and as soon as she said that, I said, are you serious? They canceled your flight? Yeah, you know, they just did, you know, whatever. I said, oh, that ain't right. I said, hold on, would you watch my son? And I see off in the distance one of these little Barney Fife little guys with all the keys on his hip. And I'll say, excuse me, we have an emergency. So the guy comes running over. I mean, he's got S on his chest. He is Superman. And I said, bro, I said, these ladies, and they're like, no, no, it's okay. I said, oh, oh, oh. these ladies right here got done wrong by y'all yesterday. I don't know what airline you represent, sir. I represent, you know, TSA. It don't matter, all right? Y'all represent Jesus, okay, all right? The customer, all right. These ladies were done wrong. They got, uh, their flight is at, seven, is at 7.30. Yes, sir, it's okay. Said, no, 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 hold on, hold on. I said, sir, is there any way you can get them ahead of the line? He goes, man, I don't know. But I said, sir, you're going to let seven ladies miss their flight. I think you've got the power. I think you've got the power to get them up. And boy, all of a sudden, he sticks out his little chest. <laughs> he looks around. He goes, I can do it. Come on, ladies. Come with me. And they're all like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, they've been cussing the whole morning. And now we're thanking Jesus. For with the tongue you bring curses and praises. It's an unbridled evil. <clears throat> and as they're walking off, the first one who skipped me and did all that mess looked back and she goes, I'm sorry. I says, okay. I said, we all have bad days, but Jesus loves you. And she says, thank you, sir. I said, you're welcome. <laughs> Hillcity.us. <laughs> humility is the genuine proof of real authority I didn't need to try to exercise I'm a pastor, I'm a man of God you wicked Jezebel devils that's where we miss it here's a, here's a third thing I would teach you from this third life lesson and that is take Jesus at his word that's where we're missing it that's why we're not having miracles because we don't take him at his word what's the word of God say? So I don't know. That's why I'm trying to get you to memorize the Bible and read the Bible every day. That's why I'm trying to get you to do that. In fact, uh, January, uh, we normally do the first 21 days of January, we do 21 days of prayer and fasting. This year, we're going to shift it to 31 days of reading the Bible every day together as a church. Uh, we're going to work with um, the Bible app and kind of you know, post what we're reading and kind of work together on that. And so we can get us back in the habit of actually knowing the Word of God. Because how can I take him at his word if I don't know what he says? That's, that's where the breakdown really is. So the reason why you got such a confused younger generation because they don't have any idea of the Word of God. What they know is clips on YouTube. And some guy talking about what the Word of God says. And why, if I was going to be a deceiver, where would I get? I'd get on social media and twist that scripture just like Satan did in that, out in the wilderness with Jesus. I'd do that like crazy. And that's why you're, they're so confused. Well, I thought, well, this, and we don't have to do this. And then, uh, who told you that? That's not what the Bible says. Well, this one little script, yeah, that's out of context. That's not, that's not the whole understanding who God is. You're out of your mind. Okay? So take him at his word. If Jesus said it, I believe it, that settles it. it re Christianity really is that easy. He said, well, it's not happening in the timing I want it to happen. Yeah, you probably got a long haul back to the house. 
A lot of opportunity to forget and, and, and fear and worry. And, but it, he said, do it. And you said, okay. And you took him at his word. And he will do it. Because he won't fail. Again, stop singing it if you don't believe it. <laughs> That's my point. All right, bring us to the last one. Last one, come on, i got to get you out of here. And number four, life lesson, and that is your obedience has the ability to affect your entire ho- household. Your, ability has the, your, your obedience excuse me, has the ability to affect your entire household, the lineage that comes after you. Sir, the reason why your children aren't serving God is because of the time frames that you didn't serve God. And so as a result, it affected the entire household. And so you talk about, you know, we talk about, we're talking a lot about conversations right now about generational wealth. Well, what's wealth? It's not money. I'm a wealthy man, and I don't have a lot of money. But I have children who serve the Lord because I had parents who served the Lord and showed me how to serve the Lord. And I saw the goodness of God. Can I get any wealthier than that? They're not out there getting drunk, crashing cars, getting pregnant out of wedlock, trying to figure out how they're going to pay for that crack addiction and all that kind of stuff. I am a wealthy man. Why? Because I was obedient, and that obedience has the ability to affect your entire family. The man was obedient. He took Jesus at his word. He departed. He went home. That kid was healed, and his entire family believed. I was listening to this guy speak, and I, I don't have all the details right. I think he was talking about um, he was talking about two men from you know back in the day, 1800s or whatever it was, or 1700s. Yeah, John Quincy Adams was one. I think he was talking about. And he talked. You know, John Quincy Adams is, is the is the one who said, "I read the Bible um, through three times a year, and I teach my children to read the Bible every day because I want them to be um, valuable uh, 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 citizens of this republic." That's that's what he said. And so I think it was John Quincy Adams. This guy, these guys did this research of their lineage. And I think John Quincy Adams had like, he had like 200 of his descendants um, that were ministers. He had 50 descendants that were governors. As far as they could tell, he had none of his descendants incarcerated. At the same time, there was another gentleman. Forgive me because I, I don't remember the details of this, of this post. I was trying to remember it. I was trying to find it. I couldn't find it. But this other guy who was on the same as, as, as in that whole time frame was more manipulative and, and didn't follow the Lord, but he was somebody big in that era. And he had 200 incarcerated family members in his generation. He had, um, he had um, like 150 early deaths. He had, why? Because, see, when you and I obey the Lord, it affects our entire family lineage. And so I'm not even just doing this for me all the time. I am laying a foundation and a road work for my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren. That's what I'm doing. And so in your obedience to the Lord, it may not always feel good, and it may may not always be beneficial for you right now, but, friend, you are laying down a groundwork for your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren to say, my grandpa, he loved Jesus. He didn't always do it right, but he loved Jesus. And I'll tell you, he'd get me out out in that boat fishing, and he'd tell me all the time, son, whatever you do, you you treat your wife one day, even though you don't have one yet. You treat her with the love of God. You love her like Jesus loves us. You understand me, son? Let me tell you what I do with your grandma. I bring her rose every other week. I bring her around. Let me tell you, I don't ever call her my old lady. Let me tell you, I heard you say something to your mama. If you ever say that to your mama again, I'm going to take you out behind the woodshed. I'm going to beat the fool out of you. You understand? Because we treat women with respect. You begin, you begin to lay that foundation in your obedience brings about supernatural transformation in your lineage. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. Amen. Come on, stand with me all across the room.